Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings. And slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to a brand new episode of The Cast. In today's discussion, we're examining a few of what some might call traditions, practices, or even rituals of the church. Our goal is to take a step back and discuss the origin of these customs and what the purpose or heart behind them is, as well as to identify if there's something that needs to be done or if they need to be done away with. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's definitely a tradition of ours to bring a balanced look at biblical topics. And what better way to continue that tradition than to discuss the topic of tradition, right? <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to talk about, you know, some popular traditions, unpopular traditions, and even some that'll make you cringe. So it ought to be a pretty fun topic with all the different things we're going to see, especially since some of these more strange traditions are still in practice even today in certain circles. Oh, yeah. And, and this kind of has an opportunity to step on a few toes. Uh, certainly not intentionally, but we want to lay out what is biblical and then what's man-made and then discuss why we practice them and what significance they hold uh, to each of us. Yep, true thing. And uh, one thing I kept asking myself as I started this study was, what is the current attitude towards traditions these days? Mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes you hear people say something along the lines of, uh, well, that's the traditional way of doing things, or don't be so traditional. It's almost a negative undertone yeah. sometimes. And in some cases, I get where those statements are coming from because we either get new understanding of certain things or we discover that uh, a previously practiced tradition is completely out of line and needs to be discarded. But uh, then there's a flip side of that coin where I think it's a great tragedy that certain traditions have been lost, whether on purpose or not. And old truths have to be relearned by generations that, that kind of neglected important realities that were handed down through traditions. Mm -hmm. So uh, today we're just going to look at quite a few traditions uh, that are in the good, bad, ugly paradigm. And it, it's going to be interesting to see all the things that uh, can be learned even now looking at traditions. Yeah. And it's funny that we keep mentioning the word traditions, uh, especially discussing which practices are biblical or not, because in discussing church traditions, Dr. R. Albert Moeller Jr., say that five times fast, <laughs> president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Lexington, Kentucky, warned in 2016 that Christians don't know their Bibles, thus they don't know what traditions are biblical or are extra biblical. And this is what he said, while America's evangelical Christians are rightly concerned about the secular worldview's rejection of biblical Christianity, he wrote on his website, we ought to give some urgent attention to a problem much closer to home. Biblical illiteracy in the church. This scandalous problem is our own, and it's up to us to fix it. He noted that researchers George Gallup and Jim Castelli found that Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. He added that fewer than half of adults could name the four Gospels, that many Christians fail to identify more than two or three of Jesus' disciples, and according to the Barna Research Group, 60% of Americans were unable to name even five of the Ten Commandments. And wow. so that's 
kind of a scary number. That really is. And when you think of traditions, there are several that kind of have what sounds like uh, roots in a biblical basis or a a biblical tradition. And you're Mm -hmm. going, wait, is that even in the Bible? And we have to be biblically literate in order to know where is this one coming from? And is it even worthy of our attention and even worthy of us following through with it? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. At times, I think even I in the past have have heard a phrase or something growing up, and I always assumed it was in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you know people sometimes know their traditions more than they know God's word. Yeah, that's a that's wild. Well, and you do have some of those sayings: "God helps those who help themselves." Cleanliness right. is next to godliness. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's a you know, and you're like, "Well, show me where that is, please." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You always when you call someone out like that, they're almost offended. Like, well, it's in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've I've done. And I'm not pointing fingers. It's, it's a big book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what they say. Look it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be looking at quite a few. And honestly, when I went through my study, I don't have a lot of rhyme or reason. I just, I know a lot of them that I've seen in the past and some that I stumbled on during this study. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to kind of shuffle back and forth on some of these traditions. Some will lead into others, but um, I've got, I don't know, I've got, I've got probably seven or eight of them, Josh. Oh, so yeah. We can start wherever. I know that I have um, traditions surrounding Christmas. Oh. And so that that's one of my first ones that I've got. Yeah. Can I read this uh, verse real quick from Mark chapter 6? Absolutely. So the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands? And of course, he's talking about their ceremonial cleansing that they do. And Jesus said to them, Well, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then later on he says, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Oh, wow. And there is some really neat biblical verses about why do we do what we do? And of course, the Pharisees were known for just being like staunch keepers of certain things that Jesus was like, this has nothing to do with worshiping me. That's a great verse to kick this off with because, I mean, Jesus laid it out so perfectly there. (laughs) Because, you know, God gave them the Ten Commandments and then what do you know, 600 and some odd rules later, they they turned it into that and and Jesus really addressed that. Blew way out of proportion. Yeah, hit the nail on the head. Mm Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, dare we dive into the waters, Josh? Let's get diving. All right. So, Christmas traditions or traditions that surround Christmas, uh, it's definitely a tradition in itself, Christmas is. Uh, there's also a lot of sub-traditions that surround that tradition. I feel like I'm going to say tradition so much. It's I, I've got it in my notes You're sitting on the roof, tradition. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> All right, but it's you know there's a lot of these um, these traditions that have made their way into a lot of families, and um, it's it's one that can be filtered through multiple questions. So while um, Christmas is a trademark holiday for nearly every Christian, it's also a holiday that's been somewhat hijacked by uh, Christians from pagan roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, I know that when we did our Christmas episode, I had mentioned that Christmas is all about Jesus um, because of what we modernly recognize it to be. But the timing of the holiday, as well as a few other aspects, was actually pagan, where ancient cultures recognize much different things than we do now. Yeah. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that the celebration of Jesus' birth is bad because it lands on a hijacked day of the calendar. Um, no different than the way I've had to explain to my kids that the middle finger is not a bad finger. Christians celebrate Christmas because we have traditionally chosen this date to represent the birth of Jesus. But this tradition is not something that we're commanded to keep. Mm. So that's um, that's one one thing that I noticed. And if you think about it, it's even morphed even further into Santa Claus from Jesus. So yeah. people just kind of do that. Traditions are what they want them to be. Yeah. But um, one sub-tradition that happened to be one Christmas came to my mind, and I just kind of wanted to share this experience that I had. I'll never forget this experience where I had um, started a tradition of my own to go to the homeless shelter every weekend to pass out Bibles and drinks and food and stuff. And I'd done this for about two years, and as certain people discovered I did it, they wanted to help out. And from time to time, I would have to skip weekends for reasons of travel and whatnot. And it had come up on Christmas weekend where I decided to take my family to go you know, visit some relatives and whatnot. So I decided to, to skip that weekend, and I was in the process of delivering some supplies to a fellow brother who wanted to make sure that the homeless um, had someone there for him on Christmas weekend. And uh, there was a first-time helper that he had brought along that I kind of got the impression wanted some warm fuzzies by helping out on on Christmas. And uh, the newbie actually said to me, on the weekend that the homeless needs you the most, you're not going to be there for them. Wow. And the flesh in me wanted to say, forget you, buddy. I've been doing this for two years on my own dime. But, you know, the spirit settled me down enough to just thank him for filling in that weekend. But I'll never forget that moment because it was really an eye-opening moment of what traditions can turn into. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even for someone who had just been introduced to a personal tradition that I had started for myself, uh, which was the weekly appearance at the homeless shelter, the thought of breaking that tradition became almost a sin in his eyes. Mm-hmm. So while we're supposed to tend to the needs of those less fortunate, the tradition of that sacrament can become a sin in itself, you know, if I were to rely on that act for righteousness. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that was something I'll never forget because it, it's, it showed what it can turn into wow. for, for me and someone else looking in uh, from outside. Yeah. So anyway, you know, the homeless don't need the love of Jesus on the most important day of the year. They need him every day, yes. just like all of us. And, you know, I also thought sometimes people do the same thing with a gathering in church. Uh, they'll justify the entire year uh, of missing gathering with brothers and sisters by attending the most important days of the year, like Easter and Christmas. And, um, you know, we're called to gather as a lifestyle, as, as, you know, family. So that's a big one that I've noticed over the years, the traditions of doing something or celebrating something once, um, which some might think justifies the absence of more consistent callings. Mm. So that's, that's uh, the first one on my list. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting to think about, you were talking about um, how Christmas was really on a pagan holiday that kind of got hijacked. Yeah. And this is one where I'm thankful for the Catholic Church because they did that with multiple holidays <laughs> that they were like, <laughs> that they did. We're going to try to redeem this one versus having it be some kind of pagan celebration. And 
It is odd. And of course, Christmas has morphed into so much more because now it's about Santa Claus. But uh, a lot of Christian families can balance it out saying, hey, St. Nick was a real person who really did good things and he was a saint. And there's just like the Easter Bunny, but then you have the resurrection and and you have Easter Sunday. And it's just, it's a mess in there. There's always the Christ and the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But you said something very important because what I think we're going to cover it multiple times on this is when the tradition becomes more important than the action and you start to only do it because it's what you've done or you feel guilty that you're not doing it even though there is no guilt involved, then there's an issue. That's true. And that's that's actually really – that's really – a deep thing to think about in our mm-hmm. personal lives. Cause I think there's a lot of stuff Christians do that are just, it's muscle memory. Yes. And it, and it might not even be commanded, but you've made it this, this thing in your head. Yeah. And, and guilt is not from God, but conviction is, but mm-hmm. should you feel conviction about sin? Yes. Yeah. Now, should you feel conviction about not keeping a tradition? Probably not. Yeah. But sometimes those are very hard to distinguish between. Oh, they are. Yeah. Okay. So do you want me to go ahead and go with one? Take it. All right. This one's a doozy. Uh, And that is praying before meals. Oh, yes. Uh, To me, this traditional practice was really the birth topic of this whole episode, at least in my heart. Because while I've been raised to pray and want to honor God by thanking him for providing the meal, it's also something that I've never wanted to fall into the trap of letting it become a mindless action that I do out of sheer duty. And it's awkward uh, when uh, my wife and I will visit our family or her family, and you can tell that some are not in the habit of praying before their meal. So they'll just get their food and start digging in while others are giving them that awkward side eye going, <laughs> uh, uh, Josh, you know, the the spiritual guy is here. <laughs> and usually he blesses our food as we kind of stand in a circle. Yeah. To which, um, especially for anyone that doesn't necessarily believe, I feel awkward because I'm like, I don't want to place trips or expectations on them for how they're supposed to act. It's just strange. Yeah. You know, and, and you think about the person who's like uh, at the restaurant and they're like, we're all going to pray. And they grab the waiter's hand. You know, <laughs> the waiter's looking at them like, uh, okay. Or that awkward moment when they come back up and they're like, here's your water. Oh, and like, yeah. you know, and they walk right in as uh, as the people are praying and they feel all uh, awkward. And it's one of those things where it's like, is it a witness to the world or is it more of like Christians just look a little batty? That's that you know. That's a question I've asked myself a lot too, because I was raised also to pray mm-hmm. before your meal, and um, we should always be thankful in, in every circumstance, especially when God gives us every meal, because not everybody has a meal every yes, day, and yes. we want to be thankful. But there, there's a fine line. It's almost an unbiblical tradition to pray um, for for many different reasons. Like yes. you said, some some look at it as well. It's a way of ministering. Mm-hmm. And I guess I've I've over the years I have not prayed as much in public in certain situations because 
I, I kind of read the situation and I, if I feel, I guess it's kind of feeling the spirit. Mm-hmm. If it feels like it's it's more of a look at me or is this really going to make a difference type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And, and you can always, you know, say a prayer in your heart and all that too. Yes. But that, that's, a, that's a weird thing to balance for me. It might not be for some, but yeah. that's, all, that's been one that's kind of weird for me. Okay. So this opened up a ton of questions going down the road about our food if we haven't prayed. Uh, first and foremost, will this food be blessed to my body? Or will it just poison me if I forget to pray? Uh, Or should you pray for God to bless it if it's a cheat meal or it's ice cream? (laughs) Which I heard one pastor was like, it's ice cream. Don't pray for it. Uh, (laughs) And then should we incorporate the waiter to pray with us? Um, Which I remember hearing one person who talked about when... um, someone will be asked to pray for the meal and they'll start praying and they'll keep praying and they'll pray, you know, like the whole thing, they'll, they'll start praying for, you know, uh, missionary teams in China. Uh And the person was like, well, first we're praying with you. And then we start praying for you to quit. And then we start praying against you. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when I thought of this, I thought, well, are there biblical examples for praying before eating? And I wanted to give you just a few, um, because there is Jesus when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000, it said, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And we know that um, in both cases, uh, he gave thanks and then there was plenty left over. And then at the Last Supper, it said, after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. Now, the interesting thing is not only does he uh, give thanks twice because he gives thanks before the the bread and the cup, but it says as they were eating. So this was like a mid-meal prayer. Okay. I thought that's kind of neat. That would throw that, my, is. that would throw my family off for sure. <laughs> yeah, <it would. laughs> start eating and then be like, "Hey, before you get to the mashed potatoes, grab everybody's hand." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a five course meal got five prayers. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you discover anything that would suggest that was a cultural thing of of any sort? I didn't necessarily know. I just an example, obviously, yes. that Jesus was showing. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Especially in the circumstances, because one commentator that I read, he pointed out like this was borderline on the miraculous. And then this was also with the uh, Last Supper. He was like basically instituting the Eucharist, you know, so. Okay. So far. I thought that was later. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was at the Last Supper, not the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then on the road to Emmaus, uh, when he was kind of talking to those guys that didn't recognize him, he took the bread and he uh, broke it and blessed it and gave it to them. Yeah. Um, Paul, uh, he kind of pulled the same miracle type of situation where they had that shipwreck and everybody had gone hungry. And he goes, don't worry, men, we're going to be saved. And today's the 14th day that you've waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the heads of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he broken it, they began to eat. And essentially, it seemed like they all had eaten enough, which I would I would take as God um multiplying the food, much like Jesus had done with the loaves and the fishes. Yeah, And uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Moses, in instruction to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's an implication that you could pray after the meal. 
because it says in verse 10, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. And they actually have a, a tradition now called the Burkat Hamazon. And I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's a special blessing said after concluding a meal in which um, if a certain amount of food is eaten, it contains several paragraphs initially instituted by some of the great sages thanking God for giving us food. Uh, no other after blessing needs to be said. And it's just like, it kind of goes for a long time. I read it and really? I was like, this is a long prayer. Wow. But they have... They have um, different ones if you ate grain or if you had a, a drink and I thought that was really interesting but it's another one of those that feels very um legalistic you know it, yeah. and very rooted in tradition yeah for sure yeah well and one thing I, I've heard over the years is um eating in ancient times with one another was a very intimate thing mm -hmm. um it was I can't remember how it was described exactly but you we're eating of the same food and we're kind of one you're all up in each other's business <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, to put it technically <laughs> So it, it was it was looked at back then much differently than we look at eating now. Yeah. But um yeah, that's really interesting. Obviously we we should be thankful for our food. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is one that I mean, again, I've been struggling with it personally at times because I don't wanna fall into like first and foremost, is the only time I pray during the day right before meals? Mm -hmm. And if that if the answer to that is ever yes, then that shows that I need to work on my prayer life because I want to have more of a conversation with God than just about food and about what he's provided. And then another thing is like, am I giving my family a bad example that, you know, we just do this because it's what we've always done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I'm, I'm still working this out in my heart because I found really compelling arguments saying, you know, not only are we saying thank you to God for his providence and his sustaining power, but that he has provided, um, you know, not only for the cook to make it, but also for the farmer to grow it yeah. and for the earth to provide it. Like there's so many reasons to be thankful, but then there's also the person that's like, it just gets weird if our fries are getting cold and yeah. we're not in that place. So there is that sense of like, you know, be thankful at all times. Yeah. And so if you're asking me where I've landed on it, I'm, I'm still working on it. I mean, I don't want to be legalistic and go, I have to do this mm -hmm. because then it becomes to me, uh, unrighteous and it becomes yeah. religion versus actually walking with God in a relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I kind of, as you said, that was thinking about the tithe. You know, some people have become very legalistic saying it has to be 10% mm -hmm. or whatever percent. Yeah. Whereas God, you know, the Bible tells us it needs to be done with a joyful heart. Yes. So if your heart's not, and you know, I this is one scenario with praying before eating that I came into one time. I remember me and my wife had just had an argument and it, it wasn't a very pleasant time right there before we ate and we said a prayer and it was just it was a it was a terrible moment of just yeah. we're praying because this is what you do and I, I remember thinking to myself if it if this if the scene is ever this again to where it's not sincere words to god mm -hmm. I just won't even do it yeah and i remember saying that to myself and perhaps i'm and, and i also thought you know if if i come to find out i haven't been doing it for 
a, a while, that mm-hmm. means something's gone wrong. Yeah. Because if it's never the moment, then yeah, you're not walking right probably. Yes. But uh, yeah, that it is. That's something I'm working out too. Well, and I never want to get to a place where whether they're a believer or not, and especially if they're in around me because they know what I do or what I stand for, I never wanted to get to a place where they go, oh, this is awkward because I started eating. Yeah. Ever. True. Yeah. I just want to be like, hey, man, enjoy your food. Yeah. You know, and God's going to bless it. I mean, he's so faithful. And if you think about it, say thank you for providing. Yeah. So should we pray before meals? We got examples to do it from Jesus himself. (laughs) You got to make those calls yourself, I guess, listener. Yeah. Amen. And that kind of leads to one of my next ones, which is communion. Oh. And you mentioned breaking bread a second ago. And is communion and breaking bread the same thing? That's That's a great question. That's a question we get into. Yeah. So you want to dive into that one, Josh? Let's do it. Okay. So communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, is actually a tradition that Jesus himself gave to believers uh, back on the Passover before crucifixion. He gave the example, like Josh mentioned earlier, of breaking bread much sooner, Mm -hmm. but um, we'll we'll decipher the two. Um, It's pretty a prophetic scenario, though, at the Last Supper because of what the Passover meant and what Jesus was about to do. And um, it's basically a time where Jesus tells us to break bread in remembrance of his body that was crucified and to drink wine in remembrance of his uh, blood that was spilled as well. And the Lord's Supper is a time where we reflect on what Jesus did for us. And as Josh mentioned, the Catholics call this the Eucharist. And it's a tradition that Christians have kept since the apostles had that Last Supper with Jesus. And Jesus tells us that he'll eat that supper again with us when he comes back. So there's no question whether this tradition is one we should keep, because it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, it's become kind of a sub-tradition across different churches over the years on how often this time of communion takes place, and also how exactly the communion should look in our modern day. So as far as how often, we're not told exactly how often to partake of the Lord's Supper. Some churches have made it one of their trademark beliefs that it should be done every Sunday or the first day of the week. And from what I've seen, they get that from Acts 20, verse 7, which says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day and prolong his message until midnight. So we have this mention of the first day of the week when Mm -hmm. they broke bread. And my thoughts on that is it's completely fine to model that template given in Acts, but... It's also one of those things that we have the liberty to choose how often on. That's that's what I gathered as I studied this. Mm-hmm. Um, Acts 2.42 does say they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Mm-hmm. So we see, we see that it was made a habit often that they did this. It uh, doesn't say exactly how often, except for the mention of, you know, on the first day of the week there. So I get why they, they come up with that. Mm-hmm. But I also get that it, it says often. Yeah. So that it's one of those one of those things that you see a couple different scenarios. You have any thoughts on it, Josh? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you talk about the early church getting together to break bread. And I think of when our church gets together to break bread, a lot of times in my past, it's like church potluck, you know, or um, maybe it's like, well, it's a catered dinner for this and that. And it's interesting because usually at those instances, we actually don't take communion, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas we set aside time on specific Sundays to do that. And I thought 
it's really interesting because I have been in churches that have taken communion weekly and I know it's, it's a preference thing again. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are some people that really push for it. And they're like, this is the only way that we can spiritually connect with God. And then I see the other side of things where like the churches, um, it just, in terms of like feasibility of setting it up all the time and all the, uh, the things that go into it, it's not as easy to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's one of those things where, I almost wonder why as uh, a church that maybe just is having a, a potluck doesn't go, oh yeah, we're going to break bread in communion through this right now. And and I know yeah. we're not always having loaves of bread and we're not always having like a glass of grape juice or wine yeah. to kind of signify that. But um, oftentimes it's more about the heart than it is about the actual elements, unless you're getting into um, the Catholic belief of transubstantiationalism, yeah, where yeah. the body actually transforms and the wine becomes the blood. Yeah, and it, you know, I saw that one commentator slash scholar guy said, "You know, we, we got to read these." It's a good title. Too. I'm not a scholar, <laughs> but he was, and and he said that there was there was at least two of these verses where. Uh, he saw through the the original language that they, they're not always interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, breaking bread and communion, one seemed to be more of a, a ceremony type deal. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some churches um, say, you know, we don't want to get too used to this and make it such a habit that it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And so they spread it out. But on the same token, if the Bible says to do it often, that doesn't matter. So I, I've juggled mm-hmm. those two ideas in my head, and I, I know there's there's one um, church I, I really love, uh, Skip Heitzig, who preaches at a Calvary Chapel, and I remember, I know Calvary Chapel, at least his, they do it once a month, I think, mm-hmm. but I remember in a sermon that he gave, he says that him and his leadership, they do it once a week in his mm-hmm. office, and I thought that was really cool. You know, it, it's it kind of shows that liberty to choose, and, and like you said, it, it's a it's a big thing to get all the stuff out and all that. Yeah. And so churches got to make that decision for themselves, but also individuals have to. Mm-hmm. And if you feel convicted that you need to take it every week, you should take it every week. Um, if the church doesn't offer it, you can do that at home before you go to church Yeah, with, with a circle of, of brothers and sisters. And so I don't see anything wrong with doing it once a week if, if that's what God's laid on your heart. And it's like a lot of the topics we talk about, you know, we can give you our take and our stance and our leanings, but the best thing is is for you to read it in the Bible. And if, if God's putting it on your heart to do it a certain way, that's the living word of God. Yeah. Do it how he says to do it to you. Yeah. And I think that's interesting that you mentioned that because being in church service for a number of years, there were times where I could never take communion with my wife, even though that was actually one of the first things that we did when we became man and wife was we took communion together. Mm. And so there's been times that we've set aside at home to just get out some crackers and some juice and say, let's do this together because of the significance of what it means to us as we worship God. And it's interesting that you say about like, well, maybe if we do it so much, it won't mean as much to me. I did see a scholarly guy also say, you know, when you talk about it in the the confines of worship and it actually is the ability to present the gospel because of what it signifies, I I think it's one of those things where um, if you can, 
and, and you have the ability and, and logistically it's not a, an issue, I think it's neat. But individually is so much more important even than corporately. Yeah. And, you know, the, the neat thing is, is that if that is a sticking point for you about a church that needs to do it, there's a church out there that does it weekly. <laughs> Every, you know, good point that yeah. you're going to find that you're going to be like, oh, this is my jam. <laughs> yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Choose, choose uh, make sure the gospel is being preached over that hill to die on, though. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, there are things that are much more important that could be a sticky issue yeah. versus just that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one one more thing that I'll say about this tradition is that it's to be revered, not taken lightly. Um, it's a, it's a serious time between you and the Lord. And First uh, Corinthians eleven uh, has some really interesting stuff to say about communion um, that that makes me kind of lean towards it's not just a meal. Um, so it says, uh, starting in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are some very um, sobering words of how serious it is. It's it's not just sitting down for a meal. Yeah. It's a it's a time of, of deep reflection of what Jesus has done. And uh, you might, some might say it's too ceremonial, whatever. But it, it's something that the Bible has for us there. Mm-hmm. And it, it speaks of the of the seriousness. Yes. Yeah. God does hold that in high esteem. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily how often, but definitely the action of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't mm-hmm. agree more. Yeah. So that's all I got on communion, Josh. Okay. All right. So I don't know if this is called a tradition or a practice, but uh, have you ever seen someone walk into a church that maybe has a hat on and the minute they cross that threshold, the hat comes off? Or if they're more comfortable wearing it, they'll wear it until that moment that says, let's pray. Mm-hmm. And then, bam, you get to see the monkey butt because, you know, <laughs> you see that they might have a bald spot. You get to see the solar panel. <laughs> there you go. Solar panel. I love it. Um, so hats off for prayer is a... Um, tradition, ritual, practice that I've seen a lot. And it's one of those things that I know a um, very popular modern pastor who uh, he was conducting a service in a church and he saw that there were some people that immediately took off their hats when he said, let's pray. And and it was a sticking point for him because he's like, you think God can't see or can't hear through, you know, a tiny, um, I guess, inch of fabric or whatever and he's like do you think that's gonna keep his presence away from you and i appreciate the way that he was coming at that because he was talking about the the heart behind it Mm -hmm. and it's like why do we take our hats off and and of course the number one reason that i found is that it's reverence it's a sign of respect um a lot of times in the american culture it's uh, a sign of etiquette And so, you know, if you're doing the the national anthem, you know, if you're going to stand for the flag, you might take your hat off for that. And it's it's just very interesting because of the roots that it has, um, considering that now, uh, 
you have the verse like 1 Corinthians 11, 4, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But when the Jewish developed um, their set of rules and their set of laws, they wear their yarmulkes, which is acting like a head covering. Yeah. And so... It's it's not one that I just went too much further in it other than just the discussion of it. But yeah. it's one of those things where I almost want to keep my hat on, not as a sign of rebellion, but as a sign of that. It doesn't change how he looks at me when I pray. Yeah. It doesn't change how he looks at me when I enter a church with my hat on. Yeah. But I also don't want to cause someone else to stumble going, man, that guy is just completely, you know, unregenerate because he won't take that fabric off his head. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting that you mentioned uh, current customs versus, you know, ancient ones, because if it's a sign of reverence now, you know, then I'm cool with with somebody having that stance towards it Mm -hmm. because we're familiar with it. Yeah. But that, yeah, that that makes sense. That's that's a pretty familiar one from from my raising, Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if you were the old school style, you know, if you were in church and your mom saw you with the hat on, yep. you would get a whack in the back of the head mm-hmm. to say, take that thing off. Many a thump. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's where I, this, these are so interesting because they all come back to heart issues. Yeah. And only God knows the heart and only you know your heart to a degree, you know. And so it's like, if you can do that without it being sin and not having any type of uh, feeling about it, then that's fine. But if it actually is wearing on you and you're going, oh, I'm actually disrespecting God because I'm wearing this hat, then we take it right off. Yeah. Yeah, you that's know. a good point. And this, all of these, all if it's not black and white talked about in the Bible and there's some gray area, you got to go to your heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not always about conscience because sometimes people can have yes. a seared one. Yes. But uh, if the Bible leaves some, some liberty room, um, that's a good point you bring. It's, it every single one of these does go back to the heart. Yeah. What does it say? The 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 letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Oh, that's you good. Know? But then there's also that verse that says, um, do not throw a stumbling block in front of your brother or give them a cause to stumble. And yeah. so there is just that that notion of being sensitive to one another and going, hey, maybe my liberty is this, but I'm not going to cause somebody to fall uh, mm-hmm. exercising that liberty. Yeah. But <laughs> finding that balance. Right? Yeah, it is. Exactly. So the hat on or off your choice. Okay. I have... Ash Wednesdays next, Josh. Nice. Dare we dare we jump in? Let's do it. Okay, so this is a tradition that many will be familiar with, whether they have participated in it or have seen someone walking around with an ash cross on their forehead. And I found several different theories on when this tradition started, but it appears that it started around 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea, where it was adopted by the Catholic Church. And for some who just heard that, it might raise some red flags because there's some concerns that people have, you know, debated over the years in regard to the events at the Council of Nicaea. Mm. But focusing on this tradition of Ash Wednesday, we see that attention is meant to be fixated on what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
Um, that's really what everything is supposed to <laughs> point yeah. to, isn't it? Yeah. But um, the, the physical response we display towards that sacrifice. And if you're wondering if this tradition is specifically mentioned in the Bible, the answer is no. But various elements of it are very much so mentioned throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is self-examination, repentance, prayer, fasting, and self-denial. And um, traditionally, priests will burn ashes of palm leaves as they uh, form the ash cross on people's foreheads, and they will say, Remember, man, that dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And the reason ashes play a role in this is because all throughout the Bible, um, ashes represent sorrow for sin and symbolize mourning. And fasting also represents a withholding from the flesh, so um, a closeness with God can be obtained. And over the years, this tradition has kind of evolved into many different variants as far as how exactly one participates in it. Uh, For example, originally you would completely fast for an entire 36 to 40 days, except Sundays, whereas now some have chosen to fast by either giving something up for a time, like red meat, or even giving something else up, like cell phone, iPad, technology, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But whatever's being given up is supposed to be a withholding of the flesh. Yeah. So for me, I have nothing against the tradition of Ash Wednesday because it's something we should um, all be doing anyway. Not necessarily the physical ash cross on the forehead, but the withholding from the flesh so that we can uh, recalibrate our relationship with God. That's a must for all Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, it, at least times where we do that, that we set aside. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I was reading up on this, and they were talking about how uh, Catholics are very sensitive to the calendar uh, of the advent of Jesus, talking about Christmas, and then leading right into um, this 40-day period from Ash Wednesday until Easter Sunday, mm-hmm. and um, how they were just trying to honor that period of spiritual discipline. And again, I think that it's a really neat deal, but I also feel like it's something that shouldn't just be done during that time. It should be done during the whole year. And um, it's, again, one of those things that I think it comes from a good place. I just, for me, I don't know if it's necessarily, I want to have that outward appearance going, okay, is it just this you know, this one time that I'm going to have this on my forehead and then I'm just going to live the way that I want to live the rest of the time. Or is it something that, um, is more like on my heart, you know? Yeah. Well, and it can become kind of like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of a uh, status symbol Mm -hmm. or or not even that, but just like I'm part of this group. Like you said, I've got a a literal ash cross on my head. Look at me. Identifying marker of pride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good way to put it. Well, and you think about as you read the Old Testament, a lot of times that was what they did when they were in mourning or they realized that they were uh, breaking the Lord's heart. It was they tore you know, their clothes and they put on sackcloth and sat in ash. Yes. You know, and which um, was acceptable. Yes. And a lot more uh, accessible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't just go down to the sackcloth store anymore. Yeah. Necessarily. Um, we use burlap here in Texas. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> everything. Everything is burlap and uh, ship shiplap. <laughs> uh, so it's just one of those things where. Where, I mean, I think if you're going to do it, 
maybe do it multiple days of the year. Yeah. But that would offend a Catholic probably. It, it could. It but, could. But, I mean, I, I'm with you there. It, it's something that I agree. It's Now, now Josh said you should be doing it all year long. You, d- don't do that because you'll die if you fast all year long. Oh, no. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should be setting – I'm making a joke. <laughs> you should be setting aside um, times where you withhold from your flesh mm-hmm. uh, yes. in order to get close to God, whatever that may mean. And, and, you know, sometimes it's the stuff that hurts the most for us that we're uh, – you might even use the word addicted to, whether it be technology or, or, or red meat or whatever it may be. Yeah. But that's – I, I told totally agree with you on that. Yeah, and there is that uh there is that scripture especially in reference to the Pharisees because anytime they'd fast they'd go out and be like I'm fasting that Jesus said Hey, when you fast, do it in secret and mm-hmm. don't, you know, make sure you wash your hair and make sure you look like you're a normal person. Yeah. You know, don't just go shouting it from the rooftops because um a lot of times he knew the motives and it's like yeah. you you got what you wanted out of it. When yes. you were fasting, you're, you got your reward already. Well, that's that's true, and they had a long history of that too. Or mm-hmm. hum, humanity in general yes. does have that problem, but the, the Jews in general would have, you know, God said, "Keep my keep my my words and my laws on your heart," and on you. And they, they would actually make these little leather boxes called phylacteries that they mm-hmm. literally taped to the forehead. Yeah, they didn't have tape, but whatever they used. <laughs> but yeah, it's almost this "look at me," a mm-hmm. very religious type of thing. And that I'm I'm not trying to say we're not trying to say that if you do participate with the ash, it yeah. might not be that for you. Yeah, we're we're not trying to step on toes in that sense. But but also bringing it up to make sure it's not you. Well, because we can we have ways. We can do that yes. sort of thing. Well, this is gonna be, this is gonna make you laugh because I wrote this down for the um, beginning of the episode and I just hadn't incorporated it yet. But uh, I found this: religion makes us feel pious, superior, and better than the next person. We think we know best, and that our denomination has all the right answers, and that everyone else is wrong. That's pride. And yeah. for those that are like, "Well, I choose not to do ashes," that could be pride. And for those yeah. that choose that say I choose to have ashes, good point. That's pride, good you know. Point. So it's all again about the motive, and it has to come from a sincere place. Yeah, that's true. And I do have one more thing in regard to to this this pro this practice. Um, that's a flip side of the coin that I have seen uh, that that bothers me. Um, I've actually known some people who will not only uh, eat as much red meat as they possibly can the night before Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. but they'll also use that night, the night before uh, they go on this fast to have a massive party where they'll just get completely wasted. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what I've seen people do with bachelor and bachelorette parties is the night before they get married, they'll go to a strip club or yeah. do and do all sorts of stuff the night before they're making the most important commitment to an individual yeah. and it's just it really it's like do you not understand that you're making a decision with this practice mm-hmm. you know it's one of those things so it defeats the entire purpose of the tradition and, and it's called fat tuesday right yeah, yeah okay uh-huh all right i just i'm it's like big, i've heard that big thing in new orleans too mm-hmm. very big yeah <laughs> yeah but um you know proverbs 21 3 tells us to do righteousness and justice is preferred by the lord more than sacrifice mm. and we also know through many books in the bible that god will actually turn a deaf ear to your prayers if your heart is consistently harboring these meaningless sacrifices over sincerity oh, wow. so it, it's something that that is really unfortunate that we can 
can fall into, especially yeah. if we're, I mean, that, that's just a big one that I, oh, that good hit, verse. That hit me. Yeah. yeah. Continuing on the um, Catholic train here for a second, because okay. I had I had known why they didn't do red meat Fridays, but I never looked it up to the find like the specific like this is all laid out why they do that, and yeah. so um, I, I found that they do it to apply and practice penitence and self discipline by fasting red meat on Fridays during the forty day Lent period. Uh, why Friday, you might ask? Well, to remind that. Uh, Jesus died on a Friday. Okay. And yeah. so that specific yeah. day where they're withholding that from themselves is supposed to be that um, that just remembrance of this is what Jesus did on this day. Uh, so if there's no eating meat on Fridays, then why is eating fish allowed? Because, man, McDonald's comes out with the McFish <laughs> or the fish fillet. Fish fillet, yeah. Yeah, everybody gets on that, that fish train. Um, so the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops states that fish are in a different category of animal. So it's only the meat of warm-blooded animals that is prohibited. But eggs, butter, and milk are also allowed. So... This is one where I'm like, ooh, that's pretty sticky. <laughs> that that's you know. the that's the whole uh, 600 rules from the commandments mm-hmm. type of deal. <laughs> the, the Talmud, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, not that I want to dunk on Catholics at all. Yeah. I just that one. I'm like, ooh, that's yeah. To me, mm-hmm. again, this is all about a lot of personal preference and gray areas and finding what God is speaking to our hearts. That one I struggle with. Yeah, I, I do as well. All right, guys. So, as this keeps happening, we we have a topic, and we we still have quite a few traditions that we need to get into. But we're already sitting pretty late in the game right now. So we're gonna do this as a part one. We're gonna come back with a part two, and you're really gonna want to visit the next episode because we really get into some really um, intense traditions. Yes, I know I have some. I haven't even told you about. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of crazy uh, traditions that we haven't mentioned yet. So stick with us for this next episode. Yeah, we're trying not. To make two-hour episodes, and I look down and I'm like, man, we're 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 just <laughs> we're, we're doing it. We're scratching the surface right now. So this is a good two-parter. Um, yeah, absolutely. Please come back. And in the meantime, if you have any traditions that we've missed, which we're still going to cover a few, but if we've missed any, please send us a message at connectitbeasnakebird.com. Uh, let us know or connect with us on Facebook and let us know how you're feeling about some of these. Maybe uh, if you're Catholic, you're like, well, you didn't represent that well. I, I understand yeah. that I might not have. Uh, please jump in and, and just, you know, very uh, cordially, <laughs> but you be can, gentle with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, you we can didn't voice. mean to step on your toes. Exactly, but voice that. I'd I'd love to hear that uh, perspective. Yeah, we want to hear from y'all, and and we might have another time we revisit more traditions. So send those in if if we've missed some. If there's some on your heart, absolutely. Because yeah. if they're on your heart, they're probably on someone else's heart. We want to address them. So uh, y'all reach out to us, and if you um, wouldn't mind, give us a rating review. It helps push the podcast out to more ears out there. More ears is more ears that hear the gospel. It's what we're all about. So yes. um, please do that if you wouldn't mind. And I'm just glad you joined us and come back for the round two because it's going to be a good one. That's right. So for part one, Snakebirds, always remember whatever you do. Wherever you go. No matter what life throws at you. There's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And be be a a snakebird. Snakebird.